Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Do me a favor. Why don't you hold the hand of the person next to you? Let us pray. Spirit of the Lord, we thank you for this moment that you've given to us this day that you've blessed us with. God, we simply ask this prayer that you would make this moment your moment and that you would make this time your time. Do something transformational inside of us and make us like you. The very strong and matchless name of Jesus, we do thank you and praise you. Now, God, bless the hand of the person that I'm holding. I don't know what they've been through, and I don't know what they're going through, but God, I know that you're able to carry them through it. So God, as they go through it, do affirm your very strong hand in their life and give them the victory even when they feel like they're losing. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. What's up, Geneva College? What's up? What's up? What's up? I'm so glad, so grateful to be here with all of you. Uh, it, is an, it is an awesome time in, in our lives, and we are thankful uh, to Geneva College and to uh, Lamont and Kathy uh, for their invite and to all the planning staff and all the people who made this happen. Kudos to all of you. <laughs> Amen. I'm sure, I'm sure there are some costs involved in this, and I'm going to ask you all to do yourselves a favor and make sure you buy a t-shirt, a book, or just make a donation. They didn't pay me to say that. <coughs> to my sister, I call her Special K. Uh, I love her dearly. Uh, she is uh, somewhere in my soul. Her and I always can seemingly find ourselves talking or reading or sharing the same thing. <coughs> this uh, floodlight wants to talk to me. <coughs> <laughs> to Lamont, who's become like a Timothy. I love you, man. In a very real strong way. In a very public, in a very masculine, powerful way. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it is good to be here at Geneva. Yeah, the last time I was in Geneva, I was here to golf. Came past the campus and said, oh my goodness. What a beautiful place. And now, here I am. In the land of the reformers. <laughs> uh, so it is good to be here with all of you and to all of the speakers who are on the, on the platform who are going to come after me. God bless all of you. Um, and just to, to my friends that are here, uh, mentors and colleagues, and, and my beautiful wife. There you go, there you go, there you go. <laughs> uh, she, the Lord has blinded her. Because I don't know what she see in me. And my simple prayer to him is to keep her blinded. <laughs> Amen. Uh, and so she, she, she tagged along with me tonight. And she's in the building. And if you get a chance to see her, as you will, she's right there. Greet her in the name of the Lord. 
with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, for our time tonight, I want to talk from a few preliminary scriptures. And I'm going to read them first and we'll revisit them during uh, the message. Uh, Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 27. And I'm going to read it from the New English translation. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image and after our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Acts chapter 10. Starting at verse 34. Then Peter started speaking. I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Amen. For my reformed brothers and sisters, introduce an Old Testament and a New Testament at the same time. My assignment this evening is to deal with a terse subject in our nation. It is a topic that permeates our communities, our campuses, and our faith. It is a topic that all too often assumes the posture of the elephant in the room as it relates to matters of faith, social justice, and the biblical mandate to live the God kind of life. The idea of race and faith has continued to be an offensive topic of conversation for Christians in America. And as Dr. King said in his sermon, Sunday morning continues to be the most segregated hours in America. Tonight I've been charged with this task to speak about one subsection of race and race relations in our world, in our community, and on our campuses, and in our churches, and that is the topic of colorblindness. And as Cornelius the centurion said to Peter in the passage of scripture that I just read to you, I say to all of you, it is good that you have come. You have made a commitment to at least have a conversation with yourselves and with others about a very, 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 watch this, not important, but divine subject called race. I understand race is a concept that has came about through this nation, but it's a divine subject. 
It's a divine subject because out of it comes the idea of the imagio day. I'm going somewhere. Colorblindness. Colorblindness. Either you've heard it or you've said it. You've read it or you've heard it. You've read it, heard it, or said it. Said it, heard it, or read it. Read it, heard it, or said it. Colorblindness. I'm going somewhere. Trust me, I am. Colorblindness, by definition, fits into three categories. Medical, racial, and biblical. The general ethos or ethic related to colorblindness is found in the field of optometry. Medical colorblindness is defined as color vision deficiency, which is the inability or decreased ability to see color or perceive color differences under, while these are not normal lighting conditions, under normal lighting conditions. There is no actual blindness, but there is a deficiency of color vision. The most usual cause is a fault in the development of one or more sets of retinal cones that perceive color and, and light and transmit that information to the optic nerve. The genes that produce photopigments are carried in the X chromosome. And if some of these genes are missing or damaged, Colorblindness will be expressed in the individual. With males, it's a higher probability than in females because males only have one X chromosome. Get you a little biology class here. Medical colorblindness is color vision deficiency. It's a deficiency that, can that says you are unable to, unable to tell the difference between colors particularly red and green. Now, some of you may have experienced not being able to tell the difference between one thing or another. You can then say, maybe I'm colorblind. Medical colorblindness. God bless you. Racial colorblindness, my friends, is a tad bit different. But racial colorblindness is twofold. As I was thinking about this, this time that we were sharing this evening, I thought about a few different things. It's been a hectic week for myself. I'm in the last phases of my doctoral work to move from doctoral student to doctoral candidate, and it's been crazy. Do you know anything about the air up there? It's really thin. But as I was thinking about this, I thought about a TV sitcom back in the early 1990s. I don't have any rhythmic, uh, rhythmic uh, movement proper. I, don't, I wasn't gifted with the rhythm and the soul to move at the same time. Uh, if you don't understand what I mean, it means that I, I, when I dance, I dance like Hitch. <laughs> I stay here. But the CV sitcom was called In Living Color. And it was designed to feature actors from every uh, racial category. It was designed to showcase them. 
And it was a, and it was a, it was a good, I thought, I thought, I thought it was funny. Thought it was, f- <laughs> maybe you weren't born soon enough, okay? Or you were born too soon. But racial color blindness, my friends, is a tad bit different. I, I believe that racial color blindness is twofold. It is color blindness from the view of devaluing, dismissing, and discriminating against persons and or people groups. Then there is the color blindness from the view of dismissing color as the only defining factor of the individual. Racial color blindness, by definition, is a sociological term referring to the disregard of racial characteristics when selecting which individuals will participate in some activity, whether it's football or golf or the swim team, or receive some service such as admission to golf or admission to, the, to college or to the country club. Within the definition of colorblindness, a rationale for practicing colorblindness is present. The rationale for colorblind practices is that racism and race privilege no longer exercise the power they once did, and that treating people equally leads to a moral, more equal moral society. You do understand we have some problems when it comes to talking about race. Again, the fact that you are here says you want to move the conversation past conversation to conduct. We've been talking about race problems for too long. We've been talking about what we're going to do about it for too long. Like the young people say on the block, you got to be, you can't just talk about it. Help me, somebody. You got to be about it. And so race relations cause us to take up our cross and not just say we have one, but a cross that says we're doing something about it. My mother used to say things like when, when you, we would, people would get in arguments, she would, she would use some terminology that I'm not free to use. <laughs> but you'll get my drift. She would say something along the lines that as long as people talk without any action, their talking means nothing. And for the older people, who listened to James Brown, he would say something like this, you're talking loud, but you ain't saying nothing. And then one of my colleagues had the nerve to say, talk is cheap, but it takes money to buy land. You and I have to do something about the problems that exist because of race. The theory of colorblindness then moves us to a place where we have to, like, Chief Justice Roberts says, the way to stop discrimination on the basis, the way we stop discrimination is on the basis of race. It's to stop discriminating on the basis of race. Christopher Dobb in his textbook, Social Inequality and Social Stratification in the United States Society, says whites believe they live in a world in which racial privilege no longer exists but their behavior supports racialized structures and practices. Dr. Michael Kimmel made the statement, not only in his book, but in a lecture, that privilege is invisible to those who have it. Those who have not been the target of racial bias 
cannot see or comprehend exactly what this feels like, looks like, and the effects that it can have in the lives of people. Dr. Kimmel goes on to say that whites simply believe discrimination and white privilege do not exist because in their world, it does not. Dr. Dobb also mentions that many times due to the prominent racism that is still evident in today's society, and let me just stick a pin here because it is still prevalent in our society, and whether or not you have been a recipient of it does not beg the question that the experience is still true. Y'all ain't saying nothing. This, he states, is due to the fact that it can be a daunting task to maintain a social identity in such a society. The goal of Dr. King and Meg Rivers the goal of Rosa Parks and Ralph Abernathy, the goal of the landmark civil rights decision and legislation in 1960, in the 1960s was to remove racial discrimination and so establish a race-blind standard. Dr. King said that he, the hope was that people would be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin and colorblind practices and positions say that we've reached that goal already. And I'm here to tell you that we haven't. The biblical mandate of Genesis 1 and 26 that I read to you at the outset, most theologians would agree that the implication of the verse is this that God's image cannot be fully reflected through race or by males or by gender alone. It says, rather, the qualities are generally unique to each gender and reflect a different aspect of who God is, and when the two are together, offer a more reflection than the two are apart. It is true that just because we are, di- we are more alike than we are different, Trust me, I'm going somewhere. The moment we as Christians subscribe to any philosophy that informs our Christianity, but is not informed by our Christianity, we ignorantly admit that we have become fraudulent in our faith. Going to read that for you again. The moment we as Christians subscribe to any philosophy, any theory, any position, that informs our Christianity, but is not informed by our Christianity, we ignorantly admit that we have become fraudulent in our faith. You see, on one hand, we claim the love of Christ, and we boldly admit that we are recipients of his great grace. We boldly admit that we have received a grace that is so amazing It is so amazing, here it is, that it can take a wretch like me. I feel like preaching. It can take a wretch like me. Point to yourself and say it can take a wretch like me. Regardless if I'm black or white, it takes a wretch like me and makes me clean. It makes me new. 
I've got happy at Geneva. Have you ever taken the time to realize what God has pulled you from? Have you ever taken a moment to realize not where you are at, but where you could or should have been based on life factors and situations? Have you ever let yourself get to a place where you thought about where would I be without the Lord? Lord, help us in here. Because guess what? We can't do anything in and of ourselves. The grease, yes, we have them, but they can't get us to where we need to get to. God has done something amazing. And we have the nerve and the unmedic get a get unmedic get a goal, however it comes out. The audacity and the privilege we think to act like this grace belongs to us. We claim this grace. We claim this grace as our own. And God has freely given it to us. But on the other side, we fail to share this love by embracing a colorblind theology that speaks more about our country than our Christ. Surely those who are, of us who have experienced the depth of his love. Max Lucado says we've snatched from the grip. We've been snatched into the grip of his grace. But surely those of us who have experienced the depth of his love are willing to step beyond our walls of hostility and expose our excuses. Surely we're willing to step beyond the walls of hostility and live in a biblical perspective that informs race and faith rather than a perspective that maintains some far-fetched idea of nobility that we call colorblindness. I need you to see me. You see me before you hear me. And if I can just stick a pen here, we, we hear God before we see God. But I need you to see me in the outfit that he has placed me in. I need you to see me with the value he has stamped on me. We all embody the idea of being fearfully and wonderfully made. I can't get no help in the building. All of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are well put together. And I might not rock a six pack or 12 pack, but guess what? I still got it together because God has made me fearfully and wonderfully. That says three things to me. That I'm chosen, that I'm empowered, and that I'm loved. And make no mistake, honey, how you feel about me makes no difference to what he has placed in me. You better check your email, baby, because God says, 
I'm chosen, I'm empowered, and I'm loved. Now, I do understand we have some challenges. I'm not oblivious to that. I understand that we have a long way to go. We have a road of history that is behind us. And unfortunately, that road has made itself in front of us. We got some work to do. But I don't believe the U.S. Armed Forces are the only people who are looking for a few good men and women. I believe God is looking for someone to carry the banner and say, for God I live and for God I die. If we are going to rid our nation of the terrible atrocities that have been given to us because of racism, we got work to do. You know, unfortunately, my friends, I think that some people want to move beyond our past. It's a horrific past, but our future can be so much brighter, so much greater. Like my brother said to me when I was a young man at the age of 22, he said, man, it's greater later. And there are some fights that I haven't had the privilege of fighting, but some people walked so that I could stand. And you all have an opportunity to make a dent in history. They said we are building, equipping leaders to serve through in a diverse world. Is that right? I got got some more to say. Uh, I got a little happy. But I believe that we're so so willing, we're so quick to move beyond our past that of pain that we're not able or we, we don't want to remind or revisit that past because it hurts. But I believe in order for us to live into the missio day or the mission of God, we must have honest and frank discussion on matters of race and faith. No longer can race issues be allowed to sit on the shelves of our lives like unread books. No longer can hope, race, hope remove race issues. We can't hope race issues away. We can't hope it goes away. Guess what? It ain't going away. We can't wish race issues away. You ever tried to wish something away? I wish this would go away, or I wish they would go away, or I wish he would leave me alone. And the more you tried to wish it away, it only got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Or is it just me? Am I the only person who subscribed to that theory that when I close my eyes, it's gone? And hopefully, when I open them back up, it's gone. But the truth of the matter is, the more we close our eyes, the more we see what we wish will go away. I wish racism would go away. I, I, I wish people wouldn't judge me based on the color of my skin. I wish the police wouldn't follow me because the car I drive and the color of my skin. I wish I wouldn't have to have taught my son that if the police stops you to put your hands on the steering wheel because they're going to shoot first and ask questions, 
later because they might ask questions later and because you're black. I wish it would go away. I wish when, when, when my wife goes to the store that she can find hair products for her and for my daughters. I wish it would go away. When I talked to Lamont and I talked to Kathy, I said, what do you guys want me to talk about? And they had the nerve to say, do you? I'm passionate about this thing. I, I, I believe that in order for race to go away, we have to lace up our theological bootstraps. We have to make bold moves through bold initiatives, or the elephant called race will stay in the room. As leaders serving in a diverse world, we are called not to a perfect union, but to a more harmonious union that represents the kingdom of God. And since we are here at an institution of spirituality and higher learning, our first question concerning the theory of colorblindness should center on the biblical thought of what does God say. And so Acts gives us an insight onto what God says. Let me read this for you in the message translation. And I understand that reform operates and dictates around these places, and Eugene might not be fairly acceptable. <laughs> but let me read it from the message translation. Chapter 10, verse 34. Peter fairly exploded with his good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference, here it is, who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. This is the message he sent to the children of Israel. That through Jesus Christ, everything's being put together again very well. He's doing it everywhere and with everybody. Among everyone in summation, the story of Peter and Cornelius reveals a biblical model of inclusion, a biblical model of acceptance, of diversity, and of value, one of equality concerning all ethnicities on earth. And Peter, after this state of ecstasy, is summoned to the house of Cornelius by the Spirit of the Lord. From this vision, he profoundly boasts that God is no respecter of person. Let me stick a pen here. My mother would say God isn't crazy. Uh, 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 God isn't. God doesn't like ugly. And then she would back it up and say he ain't crazy about pretty either. But God is no respecter of person. Neither of ethnicity nor of gender. Geography or finances. There is no impartiality with God. Everyone is chosen. Here it is. Everyone is empowered and everyone is loved. It is human confusion and conflict 
concerning the plan of God for the people of God that has created a spiritual quagmire in which we live our lives through the lens of black and white. Yet never counting on the arrival of God to confound our way of living. Have you ever been living a certain way and God interrupts it and says we got to go a different way? The fact that you're here says you want to go a different way. Our way of being and our way of thinking have to ultimately inform our faith. The same instruction and command given to Peter is given to you and I. We are to proceed without debate and discrimination. We are to proceed without debate and discrimination. We are to live our lives in color. The philosophy of colorblindness. I mean, I get it. I, I really do. I understand that there, there, there is this, this issue of wanting to say, I, I, I see you, but I don't use it as a basis for hanging out with you. It's a delicate dilemma. It's delicate. And no, no one who isn't doesn't want to appear as something they aren't. I'm going to say it again. No one who isn't doesn't want to appear as something they aren't. It's called being fraudulent. No one who isn't, I'm not a singer. I don't want to appear that I am or that I can. Because when I do, it says I'm fraudulent. And just in case you missed it, Christians say one thing, but they fraudulent. It's a shame that 95% of the Christians in our country are considered to be hypocritical and 87% are considered to be judgmental. It's a sad day. Guess what? They fraudulent. <laughs> this idea of colorblind, my friends, is a delicate dilemma. Admitting to being colorblind emanates from two places the place of ignorance, and the place of innocence. There remains a group of people who love Jesus and people of all races. And they underscore this by saying, I love Christ and I love them, but I don't use color as a basis for the treatment of individuals, but the basis of Christ as treatment of those individuals. And then you have a segment of the population in this republic that dare not talk about the issue of race and the history of racism. They say things like, <coughs> racism is dead. <coughs> racism is dead. <coughs> racism is dead. <coughs> or they say things like, there is a black president now, whom I refer to as Obama, not President Obama. Because he's just Obama, he's not my president, he's a, but he's a black president. <coughs> Or they say things like, I, would, I wish they would get over it. Here you go, here you go. I wasn't a part of that. And just because they did it, I didn't do it. All the while, they have benefited from and lived from a position of privilege, power, and possession. Their ancestors who promoted slavery and racism have handed them the keys to the American dream. Yet this group refuses and denies any and all culpability. Excuse me. 
This group says, I don't see color. We are all of God's children. This group embraces the idea of I and us and not we. We, my friends, are designed to live in a community. We're designed to live in community with each other. We are to carry out the Greek truth of Kononia. We, in our churches, in our communities, and on our campus, when we live out Kononia, this is living in color. This is what God calls us to. If you don't want to lead, if you don't want to live in color, you don't want to lead. You don't want to take people from where they are to a place where God has called you to go. Leading is living in color. Who still has a black and white TV? And you get mad when the the you in the TV is off. Who still has a black and white TV? Matter of fact, on this side, y'all don't even know, see, I haven't seen a black and white TV. <laughs> because when we define things simply on the lens of black and white, my friends, we get it wrong. God's called us to live in color. He's called us to live in harmony with each other. And just because I can't dance doesn't mean we can't do the circle dance together. He's called us to this. He's called us to this multiplicity of colors, joining him and doing the circle dance with him. It is that that draws people to want to be like Jesus. It's a Revelation 7 and 9 celebration where every glossa and every ethne and every tribe together worshiping the greatest of great is worshiping the Lord. And after John's revelation, we have a chance, all of us, to stand there together and sing a song, I'm getting happy, and sing a song that the angels cannot sing, and it simply says, I've been redeemed. Man, do you, do you understand that the people that sit in the presence of God are not considered the sons of God, the daughters of God. They cannot make the confession that you and I can make. They cannot say that I've been redeemed. We are to worship God in, in our living. We're to worship God in our fellowshipping. We're to join him and where he's working to bring about reconciliation in our world. I'm, 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 I'm almost where I need to get to. As the people of God and leaders on this campus and this community, all of you are called to live life on purpose and in purpose as you carry out the plan of God in your life. The next time your friend of another race asks you why you are hanging out with people of another race, don't get testy and don't get angry. Don't get offended and don't get mad. Don't even get defensive. And all you need to do is say, you know what? I'm living my life in color. Won't you join me? When they ask you, why are you hanging out with them? Here it is. They ain't black enough. 
when they ask you, why are you hanging out with them? What you doing, trying to be white? All you simply say is, you know what? I'm living in color. I'm not going to allow the stereotypes that are incorrect to determine my kingdom placement. I'm going to live life in color. This gospel calls us, you and I, citizens of this world, but kingdoms of that one, to affect social change. It calls us to let his kingdom come in us as it is in, 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 as it is in heaven. Unfortunately, though, many Western Christians have been influenced by secular culture. And again, we've allowed our faith to be informed by our living and not our living to be informed by our faith. And unless we take conscious precautions, we can develop a God blindness. A colorblind person can't see red or green because the rods and cones in the eye are damaged. A colorblind Christian can't see living in color because their heart is damaged. A colorblind person uses the words red and green without having any experience of the actual colors. A colorblind Christian uses the words white and black because they don't want to experience the actual people. We are called to embrace a faith that celebrates color. We're called to embrace a faith that celebrates, watch this, the diversity in Christ through the oneness of being connected. The faith that we live is not an assimilation that we all look alike. Each of us are called to a different place. God does not expect us to assimilate. He expects us to agitate the lives of people where comfortability has taken up residence. Our faith is a faith that commends diversity, not one that promotes division. This faith is not some, abs some abstract construct that, that we as believers live down to. This is not some distorted, convoluted, incorrect, presumptuous ideology which denigrates the faith we hold as true, but refuses to celebrate the diversity of creation. No, this faith is a faith that is real. It is a faith that is tangible. It is a faith that is touchable, and it is a faith that is real. It is a faith that we as believers and leaders live out to and up to, not up to in a works righteousness. I understand I'm in reformed country. But a living up to as representatives or witnesses, or in the, as the Greek leads us to believe, the martyrion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God made us, my friends, to live in color, to live in harmony as we do his work. Only I'm, I'm going to take my seat in just a few minutes, but I, got, I, I need to get to this place. God makes man in his own image. We all agree with that, amen? We agree that we're all made in the image of God. The Hebrew text uses two words, image and likeness. As we go deeper in the text, the implication of image and likeness is, gets revealed. Sometimes you ask the question, what's the difference? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> image speaks to the man, to the way man looks. 
And likeness speaks to the way man acts. In our humanity, we are created in the image of God. And in our humanity, we are made in the likeness of God. Humanity is created to look like God. And humanity is designed to act like God. The thing is this. Regardless of how we act. Regardless of how we feel about it. Regardless of what takes place in our lives. Regardless of how you feel about my color and I about yours. Regardless of how you think you might want to get this thing across to me. The truth of the matter is, we're all designed to look like our daddy. Can't get away from it. Can't move away from it. Can't hope it away. Can't wish it away. We are all designed to look like our father. We are all designed to treat each other like our father treats us. Image and likeness declares one thing, that at the end of the day, we're to cast not a shadow, but an image of the amazing grace that we've been afforded. It simply means that you and I have to cross racial lines and barriers and move the conversation to a place of conduct and not just a place where we talk about it. At the end of the day, we are designed to look like our father. How many times have you stood in the mirror and said, I look like my daddy? For all the contemporary young folk, you stunting like your daddy. They understand what I'm talking about. All you old folk, y'all listen to that type of music. God expects us to look like him. Maybe you don't believe what I say. Maybe you don't think what I'm saying is true. Why do you think the devil wants to pick with you all the time? Not because you fancy Drake. Not because you got it all together. Not because you all that in a, a bag of chips with some dip. You look like your daddy. God's up to something. And just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, in the little section where you live at, just maybe, there's going to be a sound. And, and, and suddenly might take place. Just maybe. God is trying to get the attention of the people in this country to an idea that race doesn't matter. At the end of the day, as St. Teresa of Avila said, we are God's hands. We are his feet. We are his body. Paul says it this way. We are living epistles to be read of all men. Come to a place of personal introspection. <clears throat> As I take my seat, I'm going to ask you a question. Will you choose to live in color?
God bless you.